Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 513 for the 2nd of October, 2016. This week, you have a smartphone, but it repeatedly accepts calls from scammers and scammers. That's dumb. Let's fix it. Are you thinking about replacing a desktop computer with a notebook? You can do it, but be prepared for some surprises. In short circuits, despite what you may have seen on the internet, Brad Pitt is still alive. Microsoft wants to be part of your future connected car. Tracking your sleep with an iPhone app. In spare parts, only on the website, BlackBerry gets out of the phone manufacturing business. A new app claims to help you get a seat at your favorite restaurant. And another social media app is about to launch. A smartphone and a data plan offer many worthwhile benefits, but they also bring annoyances and frustrations. Chief among these are spam phone calls and spam text messages. It's easy enough to glance at the caller ID and refuse a call when it's from a number you don't recognize or the display is blocked. Still, it's an inconvenience. I've been looking at several Android apps that claim to be able to block the trash, and the one I've decided to keep is called Mr. Number. It's a free call blocker app that allows you to look up 20 numbers for free. After that, you have to pay. The free service is part of whitepages.com and also displays ads. That's why it's free. There is no paid version that removes the ads. Mr. Number claims to automatically block spam messages, and it seems to work reasonably well. When it comes to blocking numbers, the service is exceptional. You can block an individual number, of course, but you can also block all the numbers in a particular area code or exchange. Blocking 614 would eliminate all calls from Columbus. Blocking 614-888 would shut down any call from one of the exchanges in Worthington, a Columbus suburb. So what if you want to block all the calls from the 614-888 exchange, but your home phone number happens to be in that exchange? And of course, you don't want to block calls from your family members. Well, the process is so easy and so obvious that you might have trouble finding it if you look for something complex. That's a mistake I made. Here's how it works. Add an area code or an area code and exchange to the begins with section of your block list. For example, 614 or 614-888. Then locate the people that you want to receive calls from even though their numbers begin with those digits. Click unblock next to each number. That's it. You can also supposedly check how calls are handled, but I haven't been able to determine how and Mr. Numbers support staff hasn't yet been responsive. You might want calls from your wife and children to always ring but perhaps you'd like calls from your boss always to be directed to voicemail. Depending on your carrier and your phone, you may already have some of those options without involving Mr. Number. Still, it'd be a nice feature if Mr. Number offered it. Check the TechBiter Worldwide website for some screenshots of the application itself. Calls from blocked numbers won't appear in the phone's call history. Instead, you'll find them in the Mr. Number call log. 
I consider this to be a plus because it removes the clutter from the phone log. For suspected spam SMS messages, the application stores the message by default. Fortunately, I receive virtually no SMS spams, so I don't have an opinion on that. If you'd prefer not to have Mr. Number store the text, you can tell it not to. If you receive a lot of SMS spams, you should consider forwarding them to 7726. That's operated by Cloudmark for the GSMA. The GSMA is a trade organization. It represents about 800 mobile operators worldwide. One of the organization's function is identifying spammers and compiling a list that can be used to block them. Mr. Number doesn't automatically forward information to GSMA, possibly, possibly, because doing so might subject the user to additional per-message charges. Still, it'd be a welcome feature in a future version. Maybe they'll think about it. Mr. Number places a small window on the Android call screen to show who is calling and when they last called. If you don't like that feature, just turn it off. And although the application allows users to look up numbers to identify a caller, you're limited to 20 lookups for free. After that, they cost a buck, all right, 99 cents. Or maybe it's 99 cents for 20 lookups. The documentation isn't very clear on that issue. And again, Mr. Number Support hasn't responded to my questions. If you try to look up a number that's already in your contact list, Mr. Number tells you you don't need to look it up, you already have it, and the request won't count against your 20 free lookups, or if you're already paying, you won't be charged for it. beginning of September, I needed to replace a desktop computer, and for reasons far too numerous and complex to go into here, I decided that a notebook computer would be the best replacement. The next few weeks were interesting. Interesting in the way, possibly apocryphal, that ancient Chinese curse wishes you'll live in interesting times. The desktop computer had several terabytes of internal storage on four disk drives, one solid-state boot drive and three standard hard drives. There's no way you can put that kind of storage inside a notebook computer. So I purchased an Orico 4-bay external USB 3 disk enclosure. Amazon messed up the first order, and the device arrived both late and broken. A replacement was delivered on Labor Day. Yes, Labor Day. UPS doesn't work Labor Day, but sometimes the U.S. Postal Service does, and that's what Amazon used. But maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Perhaps you're wondering what kind of notebook computer can replace a desktop system. It depends on the kind of work you do. I work with photos, audio, and occasionally video. And so the desktop computer had a fast multi-core i7 processor and 32 gigabytes of RAM. That was all I could afford when I bought the computer. The notebook system has an Intel Xeon CPU and 64 gigabytes of RAM. The built-in solid-state drive is relatively small, just half a terabyte, so nothing but the operating system and the applications belong there. Four full days of installation, setup, configuration, and settings restoration ensued. 
That was followed by two weeks of frustration, but everything was operating as expected by the end of September. This is the story of those weeks of frustration, and they were unexpected. I selected a Lenovo ThinkPad for several reasons. Lenovo, the successor to IBM, has a very good reputation. My wife's Lenovo computer is reliable. My secondary computer, a Lenovo notebook, has worked really well. The ThinkPad series is Lenovo's high end of notebook systems. The built-in monitor has 4K resolution, but I plan to run the computer with the case closed and use my two 1920x1080 displays, the same ones I had on the desktop system. This proved to be a significant challenge to set up. Even though I modified the power settings to do nothing when the case was closed, the computer kept going to sleep whenever I closed the case. For whatever reason, the Lenovo dock has two HDMI ports, but they can't be used at the same time. Why have two if you can't use them at the same time? The user who wants two external monitors must use one DVI port and one HDMI port. Not a problem. I had the necessary cables, but why would a dock be set up this way? Oh, by the way, the power supply that comes with the computer is beefy, but the power supply that comes with the docking station is enormous. That's not a complaint. Not at all. Big power supplies are preferred. It means that Lenovo doesn't want power to be a problem for users. It's nearly an inch thick, about four inches wide, and eight inches deep. Very impressive brick. The external disk drives looked like they might be a problem, though. Booting the system with the drives attached and powered resulted in a 30-minute boot process, and then 30 to 40 minutes beyond that when the computer was all but unusable. Turning the Orico disk stack off until the system had started reduced the boot time, but the computer was still not usable for well over half an hour. The computer would boot in less than a minute if it was out of its dock, but then the external monitors weren't always recognized properly once the computer was in the dock. I opened several support tickets with Lenovo's third-party support organization called Managed Technical Support. One said the boot either fails or is extremely slow, 20 minutes or more, when the system is attached to the dock. A USB 3 device containing four hard drives is connected to the dock. If I turn the disk drive off before booting, the first attempt invariably fails, requiring a power-off reset. The second attempt usually works. Once the disk drives have been turned on and have been recognized about a minute, the computer is not usable for nearly half an hour. Well, following a Windows 10 update, that issue was resolved, so I closed the ticket. My second support ticket said access to WMI is blocked, and I included some examples that illustrated the problem, but I was also working with Microsoft support on the issue. And after more than an hour, I found that I would need to work with their Tier 2 support, because the Tier 1 tech had no idea what WMI is. Because I believed that the problem was related to the forced power-off resets, I used a restore point. That problem was resolved, and I closed the ticket with managed technical support. And my third support ticket said the Lenovo Solution Center updated and no longer appears on the Start menu. Well, following the Windows 10 update, that issue was resolved, so I closed that ticket too. And then the skies cleared, and the sun came out. The Windows 10 update occurred overnight on Saturday, Sunday, September 24th and 25th. As of Sunday morning, the shutdown process no longer churned for half an hour and then failed. The startup process, even with the external hard drives attached, now completes in less than 60 seconds, and the screen resolution is always correct.
There's still some minor problems with the external drives in that they enter some sort of sleep mode and sometimes take more than half a minute to wake up. This can be frustrating, but it's not a showstopper. So long as I remember to access the drive regularly, it stays awake and available. And possibly because of the numerous power-off resets, the files in an important directory had the read-only attribute set, and that created some anxious moments. I had tried to open Lightroom, but the catalog couldn't be opened. No problem, I thought. Lightroom backs up catalogs. I back up catalogs. I back up the backups of the catalogs. So I moved what seemed to be the problem catalog to a new folder for safekeeping and extracted the most recent backup copy. Lightroom couldn't open that one either. Then I restored a catalog from the external backup drive, and Lightroom couldn't open it. Could I tell Lightroom to create a new catalog? Yes, I could, but the operation failed. By the way, this had big clue written all over it, but I didn't really realize that until later. I then uninstalled and reinstalled Lightroom. No change. At this point, that big clue from the previous step came into focus. Some of the files and directories in the catalog had been set to read only. Mm -hmm. Well, I should have looked at the attributes when creating a new catalog failed. But in my own defense, Adobe's error message was useless. After removing the read-only attribute from the directory and the files, copying the problem catalog back into the catalog folder, and confirming that the file was not set to read-only, I tried opening Lightroom again. Everything's back to normal. So in summary, the notebook system appears to be a reasonable replacement for a desktop system. It's smaller, it's quieter, it uses less power. I still need to work out a method that I can use to copy files from the USB 3.0 disk stack to the notebook whenever I need to go mobile, though. That's the same kind of problem I would have had any time I wanted to work on files from the desktop system in a mobile environment. So if you're thinking about switching from an old, reliable desktop system to a notebook computer, you'll succeed, but be prepared for a little rough going. <laughs> short circuits, not everything we see on the internet is true. In fact, much of what we see on the internet is demonstrably false. This is an example. Malwarebytes, quoting Snopes.com, says that the fraudulent news of Brad Pitt's suicide has been in circulation since around September 21st, shortly after TMZ revealed that Pitt and Angelina Jolie had filed for a divorce. Checking a source is so easy before sharing something. If you see an image like the one shown on the TechBiter Worldwide website claiming it is a Fox News report, resist the urge to just blindly click it or forward it. Instead, go to the Fox News website, see if the story is there, or check Snopes. Malwarebytes says that the gullibles who clicked the link were taken to a Facebook app page that requested permission to access their profiles. According to Snopes, the app steals users' credentials before continuing to a fake news story. So if you clicked any of these stories, Malwarebytes recommends changing your password for Facebook immediately. And for those who inadvertently shared the report to their network, delete the post and warn your network about the hoax. <laughs> Thank you.
Nissan Alliance and Microsoft have signed a global multi-year agreement this week. They're going to be working together on next-generation technologies to advance the concept of connected driving. The objective is to develop cars with services that are powered by Microsoft Azure, a cloud-based application. Services are intended to improve customer experience with improved navigation, predictive maintenance, remote monitoring, and over-the-air updates. In the future, cars will have to be updated and rebooted. A crash might not involve any bent metal. Renault-Nissan Alliance Senior Vice President Ogi Redzik says the cars are becoming increasingly connected, intelligent, and personal. The Renault-Nissan Alliance plans to launch more than 10 vehicles with autonomous driving technology by 2020. Renault-Nissan selected Azure in part because of its reputation for robust security. In addition, Azure supports multiple operating systems, programming languages, and tools to provide flexibility in developing applications for automobiles. Is sleep solvable? Sleep tracking application Bedit has released a new version and says it can be used to solve sleep. That's an interesting way to phrase it, but maybe sleep is solved in Finland. That's where the company is located. The Bedit 3 sleep tracker intends to answer questions about why one sleeps well or poorly. It might be worth examining if you don't sleep well and your health plan doesn't pay for a sleep test. It's a combination of hardware and software that provides access to a network of sleep experts. Bedit is integrated with eClinicalWorks and Helo, a service of more than 115,000 physicians in the U.S. The system provides a report that covers a two-week period. The report summarizes sleep, recovery, and breathing. It's also integrated with Apple Health, which makes the results available to various fitness and health applications. Bedit monitors sleep including the user's heart rate, breathing, and snoring. The new version adds temperature and humidity measurements in the room to provide a better understanding of the sleeping environment. If you've ever been involved in a sleep test, you probably dealt with a medical technician who attaches approximately 10,000 wires to various parts of your body and then tells you to sleep normally. Bedit 3 comes with a thin, flexible sensor that's placed under the mattress sheet. No charging or battery is needed. It works with all beds and tracks only the person who is sleeping on the sensor. You'll find it in Apple stores, Amazon.com, and Bedit.com starting October 4th. The price, 150 bucks. Works with the user's iPhone or Apple Watch. For more information, see the Bedit website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And also on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and only there, spare parts... This week, BlackBerry gets out of the phone manufacturing business, a new app that claims to help you get a seat at your favorite restaurant, and yet another social media app is about to launch. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.